Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. All right, so here we are. It's the summer. We're a little over halfway through the year, so we're going to start way back at the beginning, do a little recap. Why are we doing this? The whole church reading through the Bible. Almost everybody here has one of these 24-7 Bibles or, or 365 uh, Bibles every day of the year covered in there. We've been reading together and having fun. It's chronological. So every week we're doing our offering teachings, our preaching, our teaching, everything out of the readings in the next few weeks that are connected to that. And it's been fun. And there's other people tracking with us who aren't even in this province, and they're just having a blast with the Jesus trip that we're on. But our, we're looking for Jesus everywhere in the Bible because Jesus said he's everywhere in the Bible, and Jesus said the Bible's all about me. So we want to make sure we see that and that we don't misinterpret or misunderstand what the Bible is. So the Bible, you ready? The Bible. The Bible is two testaments. There's an old and a new. Two Testaments. There's an Old Testament and a New Testament. There's 66 books in the Bible. There's 31,102 verses in the Bible. There's 1,663 commands. Woo! 240 different authors, 3,237 different characters, and there's 31 guys named Zachariah. Isn't that great? That's good, I tell you. But there's only one story. There's only one story, and that story, it is all about Jesus. So listen, the Bible was not given to man so that he could fix his history or his story. The Bible wasn't given so that, you know, it's, it's a little fix-up book for you. The Bible is his story, and it's how you find your place in the story of Christ. See, this isn't some little fix-it manual for you to try to get yourself together. It's not about, you know, here's some, here's some wisdom so you can fix yourself. No, it's, it's not about that. It's a story about him and you find yourself in him in his story. You don't find 10 steps to a better life in the Bible. You get to read about God and his son who took 10,000 steps to get to you. You see, the whole point is God got to you and he didn't get to you to give you a list of here's some stuff you need to pay attention to and here's a list of fix-it stuff for you. That's not what he did. He came to personally, once and for all, totally set you free and fix everything about you and establish you in his own holiness and in his own righteousness. You're not trying to check the book to get righteous. You were given his righteousness as a gift. He invaded your life. And it's a story of a loving God who came and changed your whole world. That's what that book's all about. And if you, if you don't read it right, and if you have been taught to read it and interpret it a different way, it can really mess up your life. So this is our document. This is the word. This is what we believe. And because it's what we believe, we as believers should understand it, and we should understand how to use it. And if you think it's a little book to fix you up, you've already misunderstood the document that God gave us as believers. Because it's not about how to fix you. It's how God fixed you once and for all. You're not on some get better program. He got you fully better once and for all, and you are better. And when you get the revelation that you are better, living that reality becomes easy, because it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by his spirit. 
that you do all this stuff. All right, thank you, Pastor. All right, John 5, 39 to 40. In the message paraphrase, he said this. He said, you have your heads in the Bible. This is Jesus. He's talking to the religious leaders and teachers and scholars of the word of God. He's saying, you got your heads in the Bible constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there. But you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me. And here I am. I mean, all those things that you've been memorizing and paying attention to and all those rules you've been trying to obey, that whole book and all of that was to point to me. The rules weren't to save you. The rules were to show you that you can't help yourself. All those rules were there to put you in a desperate place of, somebody help me. Then the whole book is about somebody came. His name is Jesus. He entered into your situation. He fulfilled both sides of the covenant, your side and God's side. And he gave you a gift of his righteousness and freedom. And if you don't understand that, I don't know what gospel you heard. But that is the gospel. And Jesus said, man, here I am. I'm standing right in front of you. And you're not willing to receive from me the life you say you want. Well, I want the self-improvement gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel is once and for all the image of Christ established in you forever because of faith. Because you believe he did it all for you. Amen. Set yourself free right now from the self-improvement trap. Amen. Thank you. I'm seeing a vision. thought there was people here. Okay. 2 Corinthians 3, 6. He made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not by the, but not by the letter, but by the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The fire to do the Christian life comes by being soaked in the fuel of the story that it's already been done. How many lost your voice in worship? You just, just pray for you. I am so needy, honey. All my needs are met in amens. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, God, who at various times and various ways spoke in past, so God spoke. He used all kinds of people, all those authors. God was constantly using human beings, trying to speak, but he had to speak through the filter of their lives, their experiences, their world, their headset. God was trying to speak. He spoke through the fathers. He spoke by the prophets. But in these last days, he spoke again. In these last days, all that other stuff was him trying to speak, right? But now he says he's spoken to us by his son. He says, my son is the exact likeness. He's the exact expressed image. My son is the brightness of my glory. My son is the expressed image of my person. Now, Philip, remember Philip? Philip was one of the disciples. And, you know, Jesus said, I'm going to the father. And Philip says, well, show us the father. And he said, oh, my goodness, Philip. Have I been with you for three years, leading, guiding, teaching? You've experienced me all this time. And you still don't know that if you see me, you see the father? You know, I was thinking about that. Cheryl and I were driving. We were thinking, man, these guys are with them all that time, and they're still saying, show us the Father. They still didn't get that Jesus was the full revelation of the Godhead. And it just means in three years, the greatest anointing that ever existed, Jesus Christ, the anointed one, teaching these people, even they, after three years of living 24-7 with them and being taught, even there at the end, they're going, could you show me the Father, please? Jesus like, ah. Oh. After three years of full-time, you know, person-to-person -person teaching you, you still don't get that if you see me, you see the Father. I am the best edition of God. What word do you read, Pastor? Jesus. What translation? Jesus. Jesus perfectly translated God. 
And if something you read, even in the Bible, doesn't look like Jesus, you're probably misunderstanding the purpose for what's written there. Can I get an amen? amen. All right, good, good. All right, it's a little, little review just to help you because it's the Bible, right? The Bible, listen, listen, the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Say doing. Say done. Those are two massive, massive shifts. And it has to happen in your head because people keep on looking for stuff in the Bible. What do I need to do? And here's what they, they write. Jesus, what do we need to do to do to, to have the kingdom? What do we need to do? And Jesus said to them, here it is. You ready? Only believe. But we still, we still, even, even, you know, this side of the cross, set free, baptized in the Holy Ghost, full of God, we're still thinking of, what do I need to do to please you? What do I need to do to get closer to you? And we're dumbed down on all this religious performance trying to get what is already given to us because of the finished work of the cross. Terry's on fire! All right. All right, so the Bible's not about that. It's about God and what he has done. You can think too highly of your interpretation of Scripture. You can think too highly of your interpretation. You know, your interpretation of Scripture is a big deal, and your interpretation of Scripture is affecting your life. And I don't know about who's, who's every, in the last five years, you've changed a little bit of the way you saw the Word of God. Anybody? Oh, not me. I got it right the first time, you know. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a member of the Joe Blow Club, and, you know, I've been taught everything well. Okay, so you cannot think too highly of Scripture's view of itself. You cannot think too highly of Scripture's view of itself. The best way to read Scripture is let Scripture interpret Scripture. And don't get confused, especially don't confuse your covenants. Don't confuse old covenant with new covenant and don't try to have new covenant realities by honoring an old covenant system. And that's sadly what happens in so many churches. Even though we live in a new covenant, we have better promises and a better command. We're still trying to obey an old covenant and get new covenant results. And it will never, ever happen. You'll just disappoint yourself and frustrate yourself. Can I get an amen? Deuteronomy 28, 36, 37, everybody knows. How many know what's in Deuteronomy 28? Come on, all those people. What's in Deuteronomy 28? Blessings and curses. Amen. So there's Moses. He, he writes, Rose, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, and he wrote those books, and he gave it to the people, and he said, here you go. Here's a roadmap for success. He said, here's the blessings of God. If you follow him, if you love the Lord your God with all your soul, your mind, your heart, your strength, the law, if you do that, and you obey all of his commands, you're going to have a good life. If you break one of those commands, you're going to be cursed. <sighs> Well, let's try to stay on the good side. Amen. And Moses, who wrote all of that, he said, this day I put before you life and death. And he says, choose life. Now, he wrote all of it. He gave you the roadmap. He gave you the path. If you do this, you will live. And he gave you that roadmap. Then here he is. Here's, here's what he says. The Lord will exile you and your king to a nation unknown to you and your ancestors. They didn't even have a king yet. They're wondering, well, king, what's a king? But they asked for a king. And that was God said, I can't believe they want a king. I'm their king. Your ancestors will exile them and you'll worship gods of wood and stone. You'll become an object of horror, ridicule, mockery among all the nations which the Lord will send you. Well, Moses, dude, you just gave us all these good things and then you told us you're total losers. 
Like, I mean, you, you write all these books, you read it to us, you tell us what's it all about, then you say, and by the way, you're never going to make it. Another verse, second last verse in Deuteronomy, which summarized the law. I know that after my death, you will become fantastic. You'll obey all the law. You'll walk in prosperity. You'll live. You'll walk in health and healing all the rest of your days. This is their leader. This is the man of God in their life. I mean, if he coached a little league team and behaved like this with them, I've trained you in everything. I've trained you to be successful baseball players, but you're going to lose every game this year. Everybody's going to mock you. Everybody's going to laugh at you. And at the end, they're going to throw you out of the league. May the Lord bless our glorious teacher. I mean, he'd be a total failure anywhere else if he said, I did all of this, I've given you all this stuff, and then here's a summary. Here's what I know. In the end, after my death, you're going to become utterly corrupt. You'll turn from the way I have commanded you to follow. And in the days to come, disaster will come down on you, for you will do what is evil in the Lord's sight, making him very angry with your actions. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Do good, God's for you. Do bad, he's mad at you. That's Old Covenant. But a lot of people are living right now in Christ Jesus thinking that, you know, I got to be careful every single day what I do because I could fall out of favor with God. You could do bad stuff and God could come close and say, we need to talk, but you'd never fall out of his favor. I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. I will always love you. I delight in showing mercy. I delight in wrapping you with my grace. That's God's word. God will never turn his back on you, ever. No matter what you do, he's always going to be in your face contending with you. Come on, son. This is the power. This is what you're called to. This is your glorious destiny. But the church keeps giving us do better messages. You guys could do better, amen? And you go to the old covenant, and you read things, then we develop stories and principles out of stuff that was never, ever. That whole Pentateuch, all the stuff written in the Pentateuch, the guy who wrote it in the end says, it doesn't work! But there's all kinds of people, even Christians, still trying to do it. You know what's included in the Pentateuch? The Ten Commandments. All that stuff. Is it perfect? Absolutely perfect. The problem is you weren't. And you can't do it. And the problem is those whole five books were to lead you to one conclusion. I need help. But there's a lot of people still trying to use the Do Better program. I can do it. God, give me one more chance. No, you can't. Can I get an amen from the back row? That was good. That was good. All right. So Moses wraps up the whole Torah, the whole law, with a downer speech. You will utterly fail. The whole point is no one can achieve the new creation on their own. We are in desperate need of help. God saves us himself. Jesus did what we can't do. Jeremiah 21, verse 19. Your wickedness will bring its own punishment. Praise the Lord. That was good, right? Amen. And it's true. Your wickedness, even today, even in a new covenant, I hate to tell you, but... Even in a new covenant, you know, your wickedness will bring its own punishment. Sin has its own punishment. God doesn't punish you for sin. Sin punishes you for sin. Your wickedness will bring its own punishment. Your turning from me will shame you. You will, uh, you will see what is evil, a uh, bitter thing it is to abandon the Lord your God and not to fear him. I, the Lord your God, the Lord of heavens, the armies of heaven have spoken. And that's true. Now, he'll never let you go. He'll never forsake you. In fact, if you try to run away from him, he'll, he'll still constantly pursue you. That's what the whole story of the prodigal son was about. There's a son who was always still a son, who in his own head didn't think he was a son. In his own head, he said, I'll come back to dad and be a servant. But he didn't understand that in dad's mind, you're always a son. And you're always going to be blessed. And you're always going to be loved no matter what you've done. It's good news. 
But sin is still a nasty thing. Uh, Numbers 32, 23. But if you fail to keep the word, then you will have sinned against the Lord, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. That was one of my dad's verses. He, he, he told me that one all the time. He said, your sin will find you out. And it's crazy the things that happened to me. First movie I ever went to, Blazing Saddles. Remember that one? That was awesome. You know, I'm in the movie, and I felt terrible in the movie. I felt condemned. I felt, oh, my God, I can't. it's dark in here, and I'm watching this movie. It's terrible. People are farting on the screen. It's awful. And I just felt this is terrible stuff. And then when we walked out of the movie, my friends were, I got out. I turned around, and all of a sudden, beep, beep, hey, you guys need a ride? It's my dad's at a traffic light right in front of the theater. And my dad's always, be sure your sins will find you out. There's so many times in my life that my dad showed up right at a place where I was not behaving right, you know? And he always told me, be sure your sins will find you. But, you know, but if you don't do what you say, you'll be sinning against God. And you can't be sure of this. Your sin's going to track you down. It's not God's going to track you down. It's not, not somebody's pursuing you. God's saying, sin itself. I mean, if you think you're just going to sin and no big deal, honestly, sin has its own punishment. And sin will track you down. But here's the good news. God has totally set you free from the power of sin. But you know what the power of sin is? It's the law. You see, Moses gave that whole five chapters of what they call the Torah, the law. And you know what the power of sin is? The law. And there's people who are trying to use the law to get free from the thing that the law has the power to manifest in your life. Anyway, so you got to know this book. You got to know how to read it. You got to know how to interpret it because you can really mess yourself up and you can hurt yourself. Proverbs chapter 8, 36. But he who sins me wrongs his own soul. He who sins against me wrongs his own soul. New living translation of those who miss me injure themselves. See, God's never against you. God's never trying to hurt you. God will not punish you. But you see, when you go down a wrong path, going down that wrong path has punishment of its own. But it's not God's idea. And he's always with you going, hey, this isn't really a great idea. Whoa, wait a minute. Whoa. And somehow we just ignore that going right through. But here's the good news. No matter what you do, you'll never fall out of his love. You can always turn around. And he's never going to change his mind about you. Good. All right. Did we get that? Are we clear on that? All right. First Kings chapter 13, verse two, a few weeks ago, you read this 300 years before a guy named Josiah, 300 years before he showed up, it says a child named Josiah will be born into the dynasty of David. Now, this is when uh, the kingdom divided. You had Israel and you had Judah. And when that divided, you had Jeroboam decided, I can't let the people go back to Jerusalem. So he set up his own worship system and he set up an altar so that the people didn't have to go back to Jerusalem. And a prophet came and said, this altar that you made 300 years from now, a guy named Josiah, he's going to show up and he's going to blow up this altar, and he's going to burn the bones of all your prophets. And sure enough, 2 Kings 25, 16, Josiah came, and Josiah turned out, and he noticed uh, several of the tombs in the side of the hill, and he ordered that the bones be brought out, and he burned all the bones, that exact prophecy. 300 years later, a guy was named Josiah. He fulfilled that prophecy 300 years later. Amen. Just thought I'd point that out, because that was interesting. But we're reading about Josiah right now. We're reading about him, and we're reading also interspersed in that are some of the prophets who were his peers in that day. So 2 Chronicles 34, 14, and 19, it says, Hilkiah the priest, he found the book of the law of the Lord that was written by Moses. Are you tracking with me? The book of the law written by Moses, which was the Torah, or at least Deuteronomy, which was a summary. So here you have the people of God. They lost the word. They lost the Torah, and they were taking up some offerings and doing some different things, and suddenly somebody stopped over a book and went, oh, hey, look, 
the law that Moses read and he wrote us. This is so good. So they found it. So they brought it out and they decided, let's read it. So they thought they'd read it. So when King Uzziah heard what was written in the law, he rejoiced. And he said, I'm so glad we found the law. Woohoo! Woohoo! Read some more. They read the law. They read the book of Moses to the king. And he's in anticipation. Well, this is so good. And when they read it, he ended up tearing his clothes in total despair. Going, oh, my goodness. Because he got to the end and he heard Moses say, all this stuff I've just written to you, you'll never honor it. And you're going to go as a slave into other nations. And you're going to go into captivity. So he reads the whole thing. He says, there's no hope for us. Folks, there's no hope for you with the law. There's nothing. And that's what Josiah found out when the king found that. Josiah, though, still, here's what he does. Josiah had an amazing period of restoration. He, even though it wasn't going to work, he still made his very best effort to get all the people, let's try to obey the law. He says, let's do it. And then he, they set up the Passover in. Everybody come. Everybody come. Let's do the Passover. Even though the end of it was futile and hopeless, Josiah set up a period of good works where the people were able to experience a little bit of good times. Now, you could take some of that Old Testament stuff and say, here's how you have a good season. Destroy all the altars. Get the word of God. Everybody come, observe the feast, da-da-da-da-da. And you can make a list of things that if we do this, if you do this, 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 and this, and it would preach really, really good. It would preach so good because I could preach about a Josiah reform. We need a Josiah reform. We need all the people to obey the law, to get the idols out of their hearts. We need people to come, experience Passover, Commit yourself to the house of God. Restore the temple. And I can give you all these do good things. And it would sound awesome. And your flesh would be going, yes, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try harder. Are you okay? But a lot of us don't even understand that all that stuff, all it does is it stirs up your flesh to try to do what only the Spirit of God can do. And then you've got a phony, phony little season of refreshing that will not last because it was never meant to sustain you. And then we get together and let's try to do it again. Let's try to do it again. And we enter into religious works trying to get a new covenant reality. Can't do it. Is anybody here feeling what I'm putting out? All right. Give me another slide just because I need one. Second Chronicles 35, 22. But Josiah refused to listen to Nico. This was the king of Egypt. Here's Josiah now. We're doing pretty good. Man, we restored the temple, that Passover, you know, feast that we had was pretty awesome big group of people attended i think i got the people stirred up to get back to god oh look the egyptian army wants to pass through hey we just want to slide by we're we're going to fight some other people not bothering with you folks god told us not to bother with you we're going to slide through so let's leave it at that you know what i'm feeling good about myself you know what? I'm going to disguise myself and we're going to go fight Egypt. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to. And he ignores the word of the Lord. Because you know what? You know what religious performance leads to? Religious pride. Because suddenly you think you're all that. And you think, I'm responsible for my righteousness. I'm responsible for where I stand. And suddenly you start to do things that God never asked you to do. You start to bake cakes he never asked for. And do all kinds of religious stuff in the name of, I'm wonderful. 
But what happened was he went, he disguised himself, but sure enough, the archers hit him. He got wounded. They brought him back to Jerusalem, and he died. But I tell you, I, I can give you, I could pull sermons off my shelf where I've gone through the Old Covenant and said, well, that's a beautiful pattern of restoration. I'm going to preach that. And what I preached to you people in times past was a bunch of religious performance. And you know what? You can't sustain it. But it's still, sadly, all the church has these days is still do better and we'll get more of God. Try harder and we'll get more of God. Do a little more and we can have revival. Try a little harder and we can, we can get God to reluctantly come out of heaven and bless us. You can't improve upon the gospel. You can't improve upon what God did in Christ Jesus. And if you add anything else to the gospel, you empty it of its power. I pray that what I'm saying would get past notebooks and past heads and get deeply into your heart. Amen. All right, so let me, let me move on. 1 Peter 1, 10 and 12. This salvation was something even prophets wanted to know more about. When they prophesied about the gracious salvation prepared for you, they wondered what time. They wondered when will this come? This, this beautiful thing that we're prophesying, a salvation, a time when God himself would come and redeem his people, a time when God himself would remove every obstacle between our fellowship and would be forever with us. They prophesied about that time and they wondered when will it happen? But Peter, Peter said they prophesied about it, but they were told that their message was not for themselves, but for you. They were for you. There is a time coming. They saw a time when, you know what? It's no longer us striving to please God, but God himself is going to remove our iniquity from us. God himself is going to restore us to him. God himself is going to come and be with us and us with him and forever will be united and can never be separated. And they believed that. They prophesied it, but they said, oh God, in our day, make it known. But God said, it's not for you, but it is for us. And oh, that we would live in that reality. Oh, that we would get delivered from religious performance and embrace the performance of Christ. Okay, well, prophets. Well, who, who were these prophets? Well, there's two of them. Two of them you're reading this week. Habakkuk and Zephaniah. And these are two contemporary prophets of Josiah. And here they are. They are they're living in the same time of Josiah. They watched Josiah and his reforms. They watched everything he was doing. But they said, you know what's sad about all this? It's not working. And they're prophesying, you know what's sad about this? God, we believe you're good. We believe that you're a great God and that you're for us, and yet we still see violence, yet we, we still see evil, and yet we still see on the horizon a big, ugly nation called Babylon is rising and increasing in power and strength. And they're like, oh, man, God, where are you? This is right in the time of Josiah, right in the time where he was sitting up an institution of let's do better, folks. They saw hopelessness and despair. And this is what they are prophesying about. So Habakkuk... A prophet, most prophets prophesy to the people from God, but Habakkuk, his whole book is about his interaction with God. He's not talking to the people, it's him talking to God. And his book goes like this, two complaints, two responses, and a rock song. 
It really is. His whole book is summarized like this. Two complaints, two responses, and a rock song. And that's what it was. It was really, really cool. Double dog dare you. Stay with me. You'll see it. Habakkuk 1, 2, and verse 12. You got the two complaints. How long, O oh Lord, must I call for help and you don't listen? Violence is violence. You so many times in Habakkuk. He said, violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. You ever been in that spot where, Lord God, where are you? What's going on? This is where he was. What's happening? He said, I'm crying out, but you don't listen. And that's not true, is it? Because God always hears and he always answers prayer. But here's how he felt. But then he goes later on, verse 12, he goes, Oh Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us and to punish us for our many sins. And he goes on to say, man, when I compare ourselves to Babylon, we're really not that bad. I mean, I can't believe you're going to punish us with these wicked people. He's like, what? I mean, this makes no sense at all. And God says, trust me, I'm doing something big. I'm doing something awesome. And you just don't quite get it yet. All right. So you go on to God speaking. And uh, I love Habakkuk 1.5. Habakkuk 1.5, it's found also in Acts chapter 13. The apostle Paul uses it while he's preaching to the Jewish people. And you see, what he says is he says, forgiveness of sins comes from Jesus. Jesus has given you forgiveness of sins, and everyone who believes in him is made right in the sight of God. That's the message. Everyone who believes that you're forgiven, everyone who believes in the good work of Jesus Christ, every single one is made right in his sight. In his sight, you're made right by believing. That's the gospel. And that's what Paul said. He said this. He said, you're made right. Something the law of Moses could never do. And yet Josiah was trying to use the law of Moses to get revival. But it's something that it could never do. But Jesus has come. He's forgiven sin. He's done it all. For I am doing here. He quotes Habakkuk. Because here's what God said to Habakkuk. Habakkuk said, what are you doing? And God said, I am doing something in your day. Something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. That's what Habakkuk was told by God. You think I'm doing this, but I'm not. What I'm doing is so amazing that I'm telling you, if I told you, you wouldn't even believe me. And that's what Paul said to the Jewish people. He said, you can't be saved by the law. I'm telling you, Jesus has forgiven you. And believing in him makes you righteous in the sight of God. And then he used this verse. He says, this is what Habakkuk was talking about. Habakkuk saw this day. And I'm telling you now, speaking to a Jewish law-keeping group of people. And you guys are just like that. This prophecy was about you. You won't believe it, even if someone told it to you. And there's people in churches today that still sit there and smirk back at me like, you're going too far. We're not going far enough. I tell you, this freedom that Jesus has won for you, it's not a, it's not a law-keeping freedom. It's a freedom where his spirit and his power enables you to do what you could have never done apart from him filling your life. So he didn't empower you to be a law bearer. He empowered you to be free. He empowered you to manifest the fruit of the Spirit in your life by your union with him. 
Amen. Give me another verse just because we got to go. Habakkuk 2.4. Again, Paul used this a lot three times if you believe Paul wrote Hebrews. Here's what Habakkuk said. You know, to get this into manifestation, you know how justice comes? You know how righteousness comes? You know how being right with God comes? The just shall live by faith. That was in Josiah's day when he was trying to raise up a whole group of lawdoers, a whole group. Come on, let's please God. Let's try harder. Let's push more. Let's worship more. Let's read more. Let's pray more. Let's try to overcome what can never be overcome because you can never satisfy God obeying the law. And that happens even so much in the church today. But Habakkuk said the just shall live by faith. What will faith produce? Worshiping more, reading more, loving more, serving more. But see, I don't do it to get his favor. I do it because I have his favor. You can see a free person manifesting the kingdom, and you can see a desperately bondaged person manifesting what looks like the kingdom, but one's a legalist, and one's actually free. They both look the same, but the power in their lives is totally different. And if you hang around the legalist long enough, he's going to blow up because you can't do it. It's like holding a beach ball underwater. I'm good. I'm doing good. I'm trying. Oh, God. <laughs> hey. Hey. The just shall live by. The just shall live by. The just shall live by. Oh, and being good. No. The just shall live by faith. Any goodness has to be produced by faith alone okay it'll take years and years to break this stuff off your heads years unless you meditate on it and really go for it then you can experience transformation so much faster all right uh habakkuk 2:14, my favorite verse finally got to my favorite verse in the bible and here's what Habakkuk said, the just shall live by faith. I mean, this, this new kingdom is going to come into manifestation. The just shall live by faith. And a company of people who come to God in faith, that company of people are going to come. I'll tell you, it's going to happen, you know? Why? Because for as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with the awareness of the glory of God. And how's it going to happen? It's going to happen with a faith community that believe in the finished work of the cross. Habakkuk 2.20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Two complaints, two responses. The last response part of, to his complaint was, the be silent means stop complaining. So that's enough, two complaints only. But I love it because Habakkuk said, okay, I complained enough. I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand here in my tower and I'm going to wait for what you want to say to me. And God began to speak to him. What he said was the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. Habakkuk 3, 1 to 2. Now here's two complaints, two responses, and a rock song. You ready? A prayer. It starts, look, it says a prayer of the prophet set to Shiganoth. Say Shiganoth. It's really there. A lot of your Bibles don't put it in there. A lot of your Bibles leave out Shiganoth, but it's in the original text. So Habakkuk is saying, man, this is exciting. What God just showed me in this vision, it may wait for another time. Wait for it. It'll surely come. If it tarries, don't worry about it. It's going to come. Make the vision. Write it down. Make it clear. It's going to come. And here's what he said. I want you to sing this. This is what I want you to sing to the people. And he said, set it to Shiganoth. which means should it, should it be to a Mozart piece? Should it be country and western? Should it be hip-hop or rap? He said, no, make it Shiganoth. 
When I write this song, what should it be like? It should be Shigenoth. What is Shigenoth? Shigenoth is wild, enthusiastic music. Wild. Born to be wild. Shigenoth. I mean, this one, this song, Habakkuk, this one, make it a rock song. Make it an opera. Everybody sing it loud, guitars. Get the gatith. You know the instrument they made in, in Philistine, in Gath. They made a gatith. It's an amazing instrument. That's cool. I like that. Play that while you're doing it, too. It was supposed to be a massive orchestra. Everybody together, loud and wild, sing it out. And he said, I have heard the report of you, and I fear, O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, earnestly, remember compassion and remember love. See, that's what, what, what the prophet wants to make clear to you. Don't focus on on. God being mean to you because God is always, no matter what, he can never separate him from his love and from his mercy. So look at Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19, right at the end of Habakkuk. Now this is all during the time of Josiah. All during the time of this, let's try to obey God anyways. Let's try to do the stuff anyways. This was what these prophets were saying. And here's what he said. You know what? It's not going to happen in my day, but you know what? Even if the flocks die in the field, even if the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign God is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer able to tread upon the heights. Do you know the deer one day said, I want to go higher with you. Please give me different feet. No, he didn't do that. He already had the feet. He was already graced with the ability to be sure-footed in high places. And God has already graced you to not just be lifted up, but to stay lifted up and stay in the realm of a supernatural power and provision every day of your life. You know, I don't care what I see. Here's what I know. I know that God is my rock. God is my fortress. And he's made me sure-footed. And I stand constantly. And I will not be moved from riding the high places and the high things of God and enjoying his gracious favor forever. And that's how the song of this prophet ends. That's how that rock anthem ends. Boom! He lifted me up in his grace, and he's going to keep me in his grace. He's caused me to be sure-footed in the high places. All right. Turn the corner really fast. Boom. Zephaniah was another prophet. Now, Zephaniah Habakkuk, this was him talking to God. But Zephaniah, a contemporary, one of the people, when Josiah was in church, these guys were there. Habakkuk and Zephaniah were people they knew. And they're all grappling with the same period and same time. But Zephaniah, he's grappling with it too. And in Zephaniah, in chapter 1, he says, I mean, here's, here's Josiah. Come on, folks, let's try harder. Uh, just a minute, uh, Josiah, I've got a word from the Lord. I'm going to judge you. You're going to go to Babylonia. It's all over. You can't perform the law. I'm going to rip you out of the nation. Oh, thanks for that, Zephaniah. Let's, let's get back to worship. Praise you, Jesus. Then Zephaniah, I got another word. Oh, Zephaniah again. Okay, I'm not only going to judge you, I'm going to judge all the nations, every single nation. I'm going to pour out my fire. Oh, thank you, Zephaniah. <laughs> what did he eat last night? He's in a bad mood. But this is, this is a contemporary of Josiah. Josiah trying, let's all obey the law. Let's all obey the law. Zephaniah like, you're done. No matter how hard you try, it's over. Praise the Lord. <laughs> May the Lord bless the reading of his word. 
All right, so Zephaniah comes to a conclusion in chapter 3. Because he says all of that, but then in the end, he talks about the restoration of God's purpose. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, he says, All the earth will be devoured by the fire of my jealousy. Fire. What is fire in the word of God? What is fire in the Song of Solomon? What is fire? What is it? What is fire? Many waters cannot quench my love. My love is like a consuming fire. You know, when God says, I'm jealous for the nations, the nations are mine, and when I see what's going on in the nations, I don't want to destroy people. I want to deliver people from what's hindering them. You see, when we've got a judgment mindset, we want to say, Lord, judge that nation. That's not the heart of God. God does things because he loves people. He loves nations. But even when God prophesied through these people, he had to go through the filter of their mindsets, and they thought it's our God against your God. And they didn't realize our God loves everybody in all nations. But here, Zephaniah is literally lifted up to see the plan of God. And he says, all the nations will be devoured by the fire of my jealousy. Then I will purify the speech of all people. Hello, revival in Saudi Arabia. Hello, Revival in Iran. Hello, revival in India. Hello, the whole earth filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. See, that's the purpose of God. It isn't a group of people who who preach, uh, do good sermons, be better next week, try harder. Maybe we'll get God to come out of heaven. He's already out of heaven. Problem is your head is blocking the revelation of it because you're dumbed down on religious performance. Hello. Zephaniah, all people, that everyone can worship the Lord together. I'm going to judge you. I'm going to judge all nations. I'm going to pour my jealous fire out on the earth, and I'm going to do what with that jealous fire? I'm going to purify for myself one people with one language from every nation and every tongue, everywhere under heaven, where all people can come and gather, and they can all worship me with one voice. She's happy. She's kind of happy. He's got a headache. Some are going, whoa, whoa, whoa. what's going on here today? A couple more verses. Zephaniah 3, 16 to 17. He's wrapping up his song. He's saying, on that day, the announcement to Jerusalem will be, cheer up, Zion. Zion, study Zion, go study it in the word I double dog dare you. Whenever anything refers to Zion, it refers to the people of God. It's not to Jewish people. It's not to Jerusalem. Zion is, what is Zion? Hebrews defines it for us. Let the Bible define the Bible. Zion is the heavenly Jerusalem, which is what? The church. So cheer up, church. Cheer up, church. Tell you, don't be afraid for the Lord your God is living among you. This is Zephaniah back in the do-good performance days of Josiah saying, cheer up, everybody. There's a time coming when God's going to forgive all our sins. He's going to remove our impurities. He's going to give us one voice to praise him. And cheer up, church. Cheer up. Don't be afraid for your God is living among you. He's not way over there. We're not trying to get him down. He's here. He's living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take the light in you with gladness, with his love. He will calm your fears. With his love, he will restore you. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. So all through the Old Covenant, through the prophets, all through these historical books, we can see all kinds of stuff, but we've always got to discern it through the filter of the cross. And we can take stuff that's interesting writing and interesting history, and we can develop principles to put people on a treadmill of religious performance. Yeah. 
When the contemporary prophets of the day were declaring there's a better future coming, a future where he's our savior, a future where he delivers us from sin, a future where he draws us to himself. Oh God, would you show it in our day? But the beautiful thing is they were looking forward to it. We're living in it right now. That's why this should explode in us because we say, wow, I know what side of the cross I live on and what they were hungry for, I'm experiencing right now. But what dumbs it down, the experience, is us getting drunk on the religious performance of Josiah. All well-meaning, all good intention, but could never produce the result of freedom and union with God. Thank you. We got a couple truths. We got a couple truths. He's a mighty savior. He will delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Pastor, you're confused. You're confused, Pastor. I'm going to sit here as long as I can. I can hardly take it, though, but I'm going to sit here. But you're confused. This is all in the future millennium. It's going to be a mess down here. It's going to be hell to pay for. Saudi Arabia will not get saved. Iran will not turn around. The glory of the Lord will not cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. It's going to get messy and ugly, and God will get us out of here just at the last minute. Praise be to God. It's a future thing. It's a future thing. No, it's today. The problem is we think it's a future thing. Therefore, we are abandoning in a hope that we're supposed to have right now. And we've pushed all the good stuff into the sweet by and by. Won't it be wonderful then? No, it's wonderful now. I'm not convinced. All right. Let's let the scripture interpret the scripture. Give me a scripture. Give me a slide. Ephesians 2.14. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. Has brought peace to us. He has united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, 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 when in his body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Done. All nations, one people. He did this by ending the system of the law. I like to preach to you a nice little law-abiding sermon out of Josiah. It'll so tickle your flesh and you'll go try to be better people. We're the Josiah generation. No, we're not. We're the Jesus generation. Thank God we're not the Josiah generation. Because they all died in misery. Hello. He brought us all together. He broke down the wall. He ended the system of the law with its recommendations, its regulations, and its commandments. Dot, dot, dot. Next slide. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death. By means of when he comes back in the sweet by and by. No, by means of the cross. Now. Say now. Say now. I looked up now. You know what it means? It means now. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of our good efforts and good works and being the Josiah revival because of what Christ has done for us. That's Jesus in the Old Testament. And if you preach the Old Testament without Jesus, you'll put people in chains and you'll put them back in bondage. Was that a lot of work or what? I was like, God, help me connect the dots because we're all over the place today. Thank you, Jesus. 
God's not looking at dividing lines. He's not looking at nationalism or people who think their nation is better than everybody else's nation. He's looking at one people in the earth today, all set free to call out to him, all totally free, not because of their efforts or their ability to do anything, but because of their faith in the finished work of the cross.